Well, if you have your Bibles, want to open those to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 20. As we look at the passage of uh, Scripture that's about the Gerasene demoniac, person who's in the country of the Gadarenes, um, it's appropriate that we would come upon this so close to Halloween. Because uh, this character here in the scripture is a frightening one. And uh, I've entitled this sermon, The Walking Dead. And uh, you'll know why shortly. But let's look at it, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 20. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had this dwelling among the tombs, had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. I'm going to stop right there for a second and just say, it's always hogs that get beat up on. All right? <laughs> Take that as you will. I'm a Razorback fan, and I'm a little upset still. All right. There was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down clothed and in his right mind and the very man who had had the legion. That is, this is the very man that had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. And he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for the next few moments that we have together, you would teach us. Lord, help us to place ourselves in the middle of this um, story as if we were standing there alongside uh, uh, on, a, on a rock nearby, just sitting there and watching this thing unfold, watching this man and, and his, in his torment, and Lord, uh, the people and what, how they would respond, and then the encounter with Jesus. Lord, bring us into this that you might teach us and that you might instruct us, and Lord, even further, that you might call to yourself those who have yet to call upon your name who are dead in their sins, 
and have need of salvation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Walking Dead uh, was a comic book series. It started in 2003. It ended in 2019, and it was adapted uh, for television by AMC. Um, Y'all are probably familiar with it. Again, it's on-screen run in 2010. Now, you may have never seen The Walking Dead, but you know about it and heard about it probably. Um, it focused on the comics anyway. It focused on Rick Grimes, a Kentucky deputy who was shot in the line of duty and awakens from a coma in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Well, you're, you're going, this was real. This, is, this could happen. Um, and resulted in a statewide quarantine. And after uh, joining some other survivors, he gradually takes on the role of a leader of a community as it struggles to survive. If, if you've seen the, the, the story's told a little differently in the TV adaptation, but if you've seen the series, it constantly confronts the watcher with this ethical question. Who are the walking dead? Is it the lifeless and rotting but yet anim reanimated zombies? Or is it those who are still living, who are uninfected, and who are seeking to maintain some form of humanity, but who are every day collapsing into more and more violent, soulless survivors? The question continues to be asked, are the zombies, is that the, living, is that the walking dead? Or is it those who are still living who are becoming more and more soulless every day? Well, most of us would never want to be in that situation, and most of us would never picture that. I mean, it's kind of outlandish, obviously. It's, it's far-fetched and something we like to think about in terms of fiction, but maybe. But most of us would also never picture ourselves like this man on the side of the mountain. Like, the story, like this guy in this story today, demon-possessed and naked, screaming in the mountains from his dwelling places in the tombs, gashing himself with stones, violent and unrestrainable. We wouldn't think of ourselves that way. As a matter of fact, you might say to yourself, I'm nothing like this man. Uh, I'm not a crazy loon running around naked in the graveyard and hurting myself and others, and I'm not demon-possessed. And I would imagine that would be the thought of everyone here today, although I haven't followed any of you home or anything. I don't know for sure. But certainly the Bible does not say that the human condition of men and women is that by our nature we are demon-possessed. But the Bible does say that men and women by their very nature are ruled by dark and sinister forces. In Ephesians 2, Paul describes the condition of every person who is outside of Christ. Here's what he says in Ephesians 2, verses, verses 1 through 3. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, this description that Paul gives is something we, we need to think on for a moment because it's important that we understand the biblical perspective of what it means to be outside of Christ. I, I think sometimes we think that to be outside of Christ is, is just something that, um, you know, it's not best, and so if we need added Christ to our life, it, it, it would be better, you know, and so we, we, could, we could just do that. Like we could add him on to part of our life to make things better. To be outside of Christ is not simply 
to be someone who is unchurched or who is otherwise a decent person but is thinking about adding a little religion to their life. To be outside of Christ is not to say that we are otherwise good people, but we're in need of a few benefits that the church can provide. The Bible here says that to be outside of Christ, we are dead people. Outside of Christ, you are an alive, dead person. You're an alive, dead man or an alive, dead woman. You are, outside of Christ, the walking dead. That's what he says right here. And we can hardly continue to go on about our lives acting as if a few personal choices will rectify that death in us. Like, I'll just, I'll just you know, I, I'm an otherwise good man. I've been away from the church for a while, grew up in it and stuff. But I, I'm this guy that's just, you know, I'm, I'm okay. But I've got kids now, and I want to see those kids that grow up in the church too. So I'm going to go back and add a little bit. And that'll probably make my family a little bit better. And, that, and all will be good. As if a few personal choices can, can rectify that. Let me tell you something. When you're the walking dead, you're in a bad way. And the only one who can take a dead man and bring him back to life is Jesus. So let's look, at this, let's look at this man from our passage today. I want to point out five things to you uh, that I see here about this man. All right, So let's, let's run through these things. First, he was possessed by an unclean spirit. That's what the scripture says about him as we uh, look at that passage. I mean, he, Now remember where, where Jesus and the disciples are coming from. They'd just been out on the sea the night before, storm raging everywhere. Those guys think they're going to die, and Jesus calms the water. So they're, and they're already seeing this massive miracle. They're probably still shaking in their boots as they get to the shore. As soon as they get to the shore, they, Jesus steps out of the boat. They start taking a few steps, and here comes this crazy person running down out of the, the tombs, yelling and screaming, possessed by the Spirit. He was possessed by multiple demons calling themselves legion. For as the evil spirit says, we are many. Now that's never good, all right? It's bad enough that you might meet somebody that's got one demon inside of them. And you might think, well, I don't believe in demon possession. That's just a psychological issue. I'm going to tell you something. This guy had a demon. And not just one demon, many demons. And uh, the demon identified himself as legion to Jesus as he asked his name. He, he, this guy was tormented by them day and night. As I said, he was possessed by this unclean spirit, so he was tormented by day and night. He was stripped, he was stripped of his dignity, being naked and in a perpetual stand, uh, state of ranting. All right, some of you are already thinking, well, that may be my spouse. They're not naked all the time, but they're always ranting. Uh, they're always going on. Listen, this guy had lost it. He, was, he could not control it. His, his dignity, any dignity he had had before was gone. They, they forced him into isolation. This, these demons forced him into isolation to living alone among the tombs and up in the mountains. Can you imagine being this guy all alone? No one? We don't see, by the way, even when the story concludes, we don't see his cousins or his brothers or his family running out saying, Oh, you're so good. This guy was all by himself. He had been forced into isolation by these demons that existed and held him captive. And he lived among the tombs and up in the mountains. And they, they, these demons threw him into a world of constant self-harm as he gashed himself with stones. This, this, spirit that, this unclean spirit that possessed him was bent on destroying the man. Now, you might think in, in, in that whole gashing, it, it could be that the man in any possible moment that he had, where he had any kind of control, maybe the gashing of himself was him trying to say, in this thing, in this thing. But let me tell you something. The demons themselves were ultimately trying to destroy this man. 
This is illustrated by what they did immediately to the pigs once they went into them. As soon as the demons went into the pigs, what did they do? They rushed headlong down the steep hill into the waters and drowned. They, they were destroyed. That was their ultimate purpose, was to destroy. That was what they were going to do in him, and that's what they did to these pigs. Now, don't start thinking necessarily that there were 2,000 demons in this guy because you get the number of 2,000 pigs. Pigs are herd animals, you know, and, and uh, obviously very wise. And, uh, but however many demons went into the pigs, when those things got frustrated and ran down the hill, everybody else ran with them, and they ran headlong into the water, and they were all destroyed and drowned. This is a picture, by the way, uh, this man being possessed with an unclean spirit of every person absent of Jesus. Not every man is possessed by a demon, but every man is a sinner. And the sin inside every man, every man is bent on destroying him. The problem with sin is that it's a universal condition. That means all of us have that problem. And because all of us have that problem passed down by since it was passed down by Adam sin makes the one who is ruled by it believe that they are the normal ones and anybody who is turned away from it are the crazies up on the hill that's what sin convinces us of everybody else is like this so it must be okay and then we see people turn from it and they're like oh those are those goody two-shoes those are those people that think they're better than everybody else those are those crazies those fanatics those religious fanatics. This makes sin more dangerous than a legion of demons. So he was possessed by an unclean spirit. Second, the man was unrestrained. The possession of this man gave him supernatural strength. And over and over again, the people of the region had tried to shackle him and tried to restrain him, either for his benefit or for theirs. And, 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 and but he snapped all the chains and he broke away all the shackles into pieces. He was constantly crying out. He had no control over his incessant screaming. You can only imagine uh, the stories parents would tell their children about this guy. And let me tell you something. On your way home from school today, don't you go by that place up there because that's where old weird Wally lives. And he's up there screaming and cutting himself with rocks and you better go the long way around, all right? Or maybe parents use him as a threat. Oh, you don't want to obey? Maybe you would like to spend some time up near Weird Wally. By the way, that wasn't his name. I made that up, okay? In case you're wondering if that was some biblical thing. It's not. But the person who is outside of Christ thinks themselves to be in full control of their lives, and yet, you know what? They're in control of nothing. Sin is enticing. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, it convinces us that these hold the path to unrestrained freedom when in truth they only lead to Satan's control, his bondage, and his destruction. Ultimately, the unrestrained sinner walks straight into hell with their eyes wide open. This man was unrestrained. Third, the man was unable to save himself. He could not get rid of these demons. He could not stop the self-destructive behavior. He could not restrain himself enough to live among the people. He could not save himself. Now, now look at what the demon says when the man falls down before Jesus. The demon says in verse 7, 
What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Isn't that weird? The, the demon is tormenting the man, and now the, the demon is asking Jesus not to torment it. The man runs and bows down before him, recognizing who he is, but also recoils from him. This is a le- There's a lesson in here for believers in this, all right? We have somehow come, come to think that any reasonable soul who, who, when confronted with the gospel in light of their predicament of their life, will obviously and naturally choose the right thing. But experience says it's not so obvious, and it's not so natural. And we naively fail to acknowledge the grip sin has on people. Addiction grips people. Sexual sin grips people. There's a man who lives with a woman, and she's attractive to him. And he likes her, and he has grown to depend on her, but he realizes that an acceptance of the gospel, something he readily and rightly acknowledges he needs, will mean that he'll have to walk away from her. And it becomes for him a recoiling, stumbling block. He wants to come to Christ, but he knows if he comes to Christ, what it's, the torment it's going to be for him to have to let her go. The rich young ruler wanted to know how to be saved, and Jesus mentioned the commandments. And this the man was able to do. But selling all he had and giving the proceeds to the poor? Well, he recoiled. He couldn't let go of the possessions. We should not dismiss the reality that there are many who would say, Jesus, I need you. And I'm on my knees here before you. But I am frightened to death of what it will cost me to come to you. But I need to say to the one who might be there, who is unwilling right now to let go of that sin because it has such a grip on you, listen, can I tell you, you cannot save yourself. Only Jesus has the power to reach into the mess of our lives and make it new. Only Jesus. He proved that at the end of chapter 4, showing he had power over nature. Can you imagine being in that boat? The waves and the crashing over the thing and wind's crazy. And you got a couple experienced uh, seamen in the boat and they're, they're able to do what they can do and yet they realize this boat's going to capsize. This, is, this storm is too strong. And Jesus is at the back of the boat. He's asleep. He's that person in your family you envy most at night when you go to lay your head on the pillow. You got to lay there an hour before you drift off. Not Jesus. He hits his head on the pillow. He's gone. He's laying in the back of the boat, and he's asleep. And they wake him up, and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? And he looks at what's going on, and he says, peace, be still. And immediately, slick is the water, ceased are the winds. And the boat just rocks right to a calm stop right there. And they, a moment before, these disciples had had, had been frightened for their life. And then the scripture says in, in, in the chapter 4 there, and then they became very frightened and said to themselves, who is this that directs even the wind and the waves? And they obey. He proved that he had 
a power over nature. And here he proves that he has power of all the wretchedness that is within us by healing this demon-possessed man. Everybody had tried to do something to restrain this guy. Nobody could do anything to help him in terms of what was going on inside of him. But they tried to restrain him, and even that they couldn't do. No one had offered him any help. But Jesus proves that he has power over that. Let me tell you something. Are you wrestling with something in here and everything you've tried has gone south and you can't find anything to deal with that issue going on inside and you're at your wit's end and say, I don't think there is anything that can save and get rid of the stuff that's in me. Can I tell you something? Maybe, you're not, maybe it's not you. Maybe you're thinking about that for someone else in your family or nearby, a friend or someone you work with, you go to school with or whatever. There's nothing that can help them. Can I tell you something? There is. There is not something. There's someone. His name is Jesus. Finally, or not finally, this, this is the next last one. I don't want you to get all excited. I say finally, I just had to wake a few people up. All right, here we go. The man was unbound from his torment. Jesus un, unbinds him from his torment. After Jesus cast legion into the pigs, the man is found in verse 15 there, sitting down clothed and in his right mind. Everyone came out to investigate the scene of the pig tragedy. And found old weird Wally sitting down there clothed and speaking in a clear, with a clear mind. Not one person until now could control him or restrain him or help him. But after just a brief encounter with Jesus, he is a brand new man. The scripture says they're frightened. This frightened the people. You would think... This would excite the people, but it frightens them. Much like the disciples became very afraid that night before and wondered, who is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him, the people became afraid when they understood that Jesus not only had the power to calm the storms, raging storms around a man, but the ones within him too. This caused the people to beg Jesus to leave their region. Such a spectacular miracle is met with pleas for him to depart, take off, get out of here. Why? Well, maybe their decision was economic. This area of the Gadarenes would have been Gentiles, been a lot of Gentiles in this area, and they had these pigs. I mean, if it was a Jewish area and they had the pigs, there was a lot of other problems going on. That's not exactly kosher, as they say. But they couldn't afford to lose any more livestock. I mean, this is just one encounter with one individual. If Jesus hangs around much longer, what else might they lose? And they could have been thinking more materially than spiritually. Alistair Begg, a pastor I like to listen to, the pastor of the church up in Cleveland, Ohio, said, he said this about this encounter. He said, I like to think they sent him away because they didn't want to acknowledge the fact that the change he brought about, Jesus brought about in this man's life, was a change that was needed in theirs as well. That's why some of you can't show alacrity for the change in your son's or dad's or spouse's life. You can't say, I'm so happy to see the change brought about in you. You've longed for it, dreamed about it, and schemed to see this one you love become a new person, and they have, but now you can't rejoice in it, and I'll tell you why. Because you know that what you wanted for him or her is what you need for yourself. And you can't acknowledge the change in them without recognizing the change that is needed in you. And so you say, that's enough of this stuff. Jesus 
unbound this man from his torment. And finally, we see that this man became an unstoppable witness. Unstoppable witness. As Jesus started to depart, the man begged Jesus to be able to go with him. Now, I can only imagine that be so. If all of a sudden your wounds are healed, you're clothed now, you're in your right mind, you, you, and you're able to think about what has gone on, and you're able to know what has happened to you, what, where you were before, isolated. Now you're able to be among the people. Now there's someone who has stepped in and done the very thing you've been longing for so that you wouldn't be destroyed. You would say, I'm going with that guy. But Jesus says to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And and by the way, that's exactly what he did. Going so far as to share his story in the 10-city region known as Decapolis. Can you imagine? uh, You're in the the little church there in Decapolis, one of those cities, and you you get the little handbill that says, coming tonight, Weird Wally. But in his right mind, I mean, you know, and you're like, oh, I got to go to church tonight. I mean, you know, you're, he's, he's, he goes and, and he's sharing about Jesus everywhere. And, and by the way, his message is our message too. We worry about talking to people about Jesus because we don't have the Roman road memorized. Or, uh, you know, we don't know how to, to, to walk through the bridge illustration or we're not really a, you know, have a good grasp on the four spiritual laws. But can I tell you something? People aren't looking for a theological discourse on the evidentiary defense of biblical texts. They just want to know that somehow and somewhere there might be someone who can rid them of this terrible mess their life has become. And so they just need to hear us talk about the good things God has done for us and the mercy he has shown us. We just need to lead them to Jesus. He says to this guy, go and tell them all the good things the Lord has done for you and the mercy he has shown you. And that's what we need to do. If you were to follow this story out to its end and actually follow the gospel all the way to its end, we come upon another man who is stripped of his clothes and naked, isolated and alone, calling out in the tombs, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus hangs on the cross, and the observers say, why is this man on the cross? cross. He he was so nice and so kind, so good. Why is he up there? And he screams in those tombs so that he might silence the screams of the man in this tomb. And that is the gospel. He dies in the place of the screamers, the self-mutilators, the tormented, the walking dead. Jesus dies for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word.